Today's reading is Galatians 5, verse 1 and verses 13 through 25. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank Allison, first of all, Allison Gossett, for a marvelous children's sermon this morning. And I'm going to try to say what she said, but it's going to take me a few more minutes to do that. Uh, also want to thank Dr. Laura Brantley, uh, Jeff Wood, all of our team here, Greg, and Patsy, and all who have led us uh, so well in worship today. And tell you again what a great joy it is to be with you in your home, uh, in your place of worship today, which may be at your kitchen table or in your family room. Uh, we're grateful that you have chosen to be with us today uh, for worship. Also want to thank Andrew Byers that you just heard uh, read our scripture lesson for today. Andrew is one of our high school students, one of our graduating seniors uh, who is to graduate this year and then is bound for Arizona State University uh, where he's going to study computer science and cybersecurity. So we're grateful for Andrew and all of our Seniors who are graduating, you're in our prayers, and we're so grateful for your witness and for what you mean to us and to the body of Christ. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the word fruitful. Now, I realize that word is kind of an old-fashioned word that has somewhat lost its shelf life maybe today. It's, it's a little bit musty. It's a little outdated and old-fashioned. But for people of faith, that word fruitful is a pretty important word. It means, literally, it means productive, effective, or generative. The word in the Greek language in which the New Testament was originally written for fruit is karpos, K-A-R-P-O-S, which also means not just fruit, but it means deeds, it means actions. It means results. We're beginning a new series today on this second Sunday of Easter uh, on the fruit of the Spirit. 
And I want us to think about that word fruitful. Also want to thank uh, Leah Tamajan uh, for her artwork. You can see uh, from our slide today that she is a, a graphic artist. She uh, deals with watercolor and other kinds of art. And we have met her through Sarah Schneck, one of our young adults. And, and Leah has offered to share these, uh, these fruits with us each week. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And so we're grateful to her for her generous gift of artwork. Over the next few weeks, I want us to take a deeper, closer look at the specific fruit that Paul cites in his letter to the churches in Galatia. Namely, as Allison mentioned, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. I have a feeling that in the next several weeks, as we begin to think about or begin to contemplate moving from mitigation to some new normal, some reentry, I just got this feeling that we're going to need some of this fruit. John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church of the Wesleyan Movement, spoke of the fruits of the Spirit as being tempers or affections. He said, in fact, they are in essence embodied Christianity. They are incarnate faith. They're not so much feelings. They're not really emotions. They're, they're more characteristics. They're attributes or virtues that are the organic, natural outgrowth of the indwelling spirit within us. The Holy Spirit is none other than the living Christ, the resurrected Lord, dwelling within us. When we teach our confirmation class to sixth graders, we always talk about the Trinity as being God the Father is God above us, God the Son is God beside us, but God the Holy Spirit is God within us, dwelling in our hearts, in our lives. And Paul makes clear that for those of us who walk by the Spirit, these attributes, these virtues are perceptible. They become visible in the way that we live. This is also, in fact, what distinguishes a disciple of Jesus. And we know this from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, specifically in chapter 7, verse 16, and he repeats it again in verse 20. Jesus says, you will know them by their karpos by their fruits. In fact, he says, this is the way you distinguish sheep from wolves. This is how you tell what's genuine and what's counterfeit, what's true and what's false, by our fruits, by our deeds, by our actions. In fact, in the same sermon, later in chapter 7, Jesus will go on to say that profession is not enough, doctrine is not enough, Theology is not enough, dogma is not enough, but the proof of the pudding for a disciple of Jesus is the way that you live, the way that you serve, and the way that we love. Jesus also makes clear in the fourth gospel, in the gospel according to St. John, that the secret to a fruitful life is in staying connected to the vine. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus borrows an image from horticulture. I call it holy horticulture, where he says to his friends, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him or her bears much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. So the key to fruitful living is staying connected. It's staying attached to the source of life, to the source of salvation, to the source of our strength. I want to pause it there just for a moment and say something personal. It's been interesting to me in this pandemic that the witness of the church has not actually declined, but the witness of the church has actually expanded. In fact, did you know that last week, Easter Sunday, that we had five times the attendance that we normally have on Easter Sunday? And it was not because you were here in person, it was because you were connected online. 40,000 of you found your way to be a part of the worship here at Brentwood. In fact, we welcomed new members to join us by Zoom. We will again today. And so despite the social distancing, we're still linked together. We're still connected. It's interesting to me that after Easter, after the appearance of the risen Lord, to his disciples. After 40 days, we're told that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He was exalted. He was glorified. In other words, he was no longer with his friends in person, but in spirit. And when the Spirit of Christ gets inside of a disciple, the church ignites. In fact, Pentecost was born because of the indwelling spirit which produces fruit in the lives of fearful, barricaded disciples. We were talking in a worship meeting last week of a strange paradox that I think is happening among us. Though we have not been able to be in person in worship, worship seems to be becoming more personal. I've heard that from some of you, that there are no distractions I remind our team every week before we come into the sanctuary that today we're not speaking to hundreds of people. We're talking to small groups of people numbering about one person to five people in your home. And what's happening is worship is becoming more personal. Your home is becoming a sanctuary. So it's not just a place to eat and sleep and change clothes. It's a place to worship. It's a place to connect with God. In fact, it reminds me of the first century church. They didn't have any cathedrals. They didn't have any basilicas. In fact, sometimes they had to meet under the radar, but they had house churches. And somehow by the power of the Holy Spirit, their homes became chapels and their tables became altars. It's a spirit thing. Fruitfulness always begins at home. In Galatians chapter 5 that Andrew read for us, Paul speaks of two realities in the world, essentially two domains, two ways of living, flesh and spirit. When Paul speaks about the flesh, he's not primarily talking about a physical, spiritual separation. He's not talking about the material world being all bad. What he means when he says flesh is it's the whole self under the power of sin. 
with all of our self-indulgence, with all of our self-serving, with all of our desires. It's the egocentric self. By the way, you know that the truth is self-indulgence is the very worst form of human slavery. Being enslaved to myself, to my own spirit, to my own sense of pride. I got a lesson in this some time ago when I was a little full of myself. And I said to my wife one day, when I was feeling pretty good about me, I said, how many really good preachers do you think there are in the United Methodist Church? And she said, one less than you do. Sometimes flesh, pride, self-indulgence becomes a form of slavery. Flesh versus spirit. Furthermore, Paul says that this flesh-spirit division, that flesh and spirit are at odds with each other. That it's a skirmish, it's a battle, it's a civil war. I don't have to tell you all at home that because you have felt that struggle in your spirit, as have I. It's like a tug of war between two natures, two domains. In fact, whenever I think about this, I go to Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 7, where Paul sort of gives us a taste of this civil war that goes on between flesh and spirit. He says, what I don't understand about myself is that I can decide one way, but then I act another. I do things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for me and do it, it becomes obvious that God's law is necessary. But I need something more. I know the law, but I can't keep it. If the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need some help. I realize that I don't have what it takes, for I can will it, but I cannot do it. I want to do good, but I don't. I want not to do bad, but I do it anyway. My decisions do not result in fruit. Something deep within me gets the best of me every time. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I want to serve God, but I'm yanked by the influence of the flesh to do something completely different. It is agony. Who on earth can set me free? And then Paul in Romans 8 answers his own question. Thanks be to God in Christ. The dilemma is resolved. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ has cleared the air, freeing us from a life of tyranny to self, sin, and death. Flesh and spirit. And then Paul makes clear in Galatians 5 that if we're to experience this freedom, it requires a death to self. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires. A.W. Tozier said it like this, the reason why so many are still so troubled are still making such little progress spiritually is because we haven't come to the end of ourselves. We're still trying to give orders and we're still interfering with God's work within us. 
Every time we have a baptism in this place, we have a blessing over the water, and it goes something like this. Bless this gift of water and those who receive it to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. The truth of the matter is, in order to be free in the Spirit, I have to die to me. I've discovered in no uncertain terms that the most painful and liberating death is when you die to yourself because it's only then that you begin to see that life is not about you. It's about us. It's not about Christ simply in me, but Christ in us. It's about connection. It's about attachment. It's about community. It's about fellowship. In such a way, says Paul, that the entire law, the whole Torah, is, seen, is, is sewn up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The final part in Galatians 5 is that Paul does a fruit test. He is a fruit inspector. He contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. And here's what he says. When I enthrone myself, when self is on the throne in dominion, we tend to yield to sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, which is anything on the throne but God, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, bad temper, Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Says Paul, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. Now, I think the truth of the matter is, when I'm living in the flesh, I don't want the kingdom anyway because I couldn't exist in a place that I'm not in control of. But when the Spirit is center, when the Holy Spirit of God, the risen one, is given sovereignty in our hearts, look at this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. There is no law against these things. When you're connected to Jesus, you disconnect or die to yourself so that you no longer have to get your way and you begin to actually want what God wants. His desires become our desires. Now, I know now and then somebody will do something particularly foolish or mean and say, well, the Spirit led me to do it, and I agree, but the wrong Spirit led them to do it. That's the Spirit with the little s, not the big s. And let me say, 
The Holy Spirit will never lead me to do something that looks contrary to Jesus. When you walk in the Spirit, you don't have to have a lot of rules and regulations because your desires have changed. The freedom that we're given by God's grace is not freedom to do whatever we please. It's freedom to do whatever God pleases in ways that benefit our neighbor and glorify God. Let me give you two or three examples and I'm finished. I talked the other day with one of our doctors. He told me that his hospital had taken the step-down IC unit and made it into a COVID-19 wing. And then he told me something that, that actually blew me away. He said, as we set up this coronavirus wing, we didn't assign specific doctors and nurses from our staff to the COVID wing. We didn't tell anyone they had to do it. We didn't have to because they volunteered. He said, the wing is fully staffed with our people and not a single person forced them to serve. They chose to serve, even at great risk to themselves. And he said, if you were to ask them, why are you doing it? They would respond, it's just what we do. It's who we are. And we're honored to serve. That's some good fruit. Somebody told me the other day about a Metro policeman who found out a needy family needed food on his watch, a grandmother and her kids, grandkids. When he heard the need, he went shopping. He brought groceries and left them on the porch. And later he came back with blankets and more food. The grandmother said, the kids don't really attend church, but they've been saying all day today, Jesus has come to our house. We believe in Jesus, but we didn't expect him to be dressed in blue. That's some good fruit. Last word. One of our members here, one of our women, has a neighbor in her community, lives across the street. Her neighbor friend is older and high risk for the virus. My friend was concerned about her neighbor, her friend, but didn't want to violate the social distance order or expose her to any germ. And so here's what she did. She carried a little package over and left it on the front step with a note. The packet included three pieces of construction paper. One was red, one was yellow, and one was green. The note instructed the neighbor to place the appropriate color construction paper in the window. If she had an emergency, put the red in the window. If she had need of food or medicine, put the yellow in the window. And if everything is fine, put, put up the green in the window. And every day, several times a day, every few minutes, my friend will look out her window and respond accordingly. If it's red, she comes running. If it's yellow, she fills the need. If it's green, she thanks God. What is she doing? She's just doing her job. <laughs> She's living out her faith. She's being fruitful 
It's just who she is. Isn't it wonderful to know that you don't have to go to seminary to be fruitful? That you can do it just as well with a stethoscope or a bag of groceries or three slips of paper and a heart of love. When you walk by the Spirit, you are free. There's no freedom like it. You're liberated from the chains of self-indulgence and self-absorption, and your desires change. You no longer have to do what you want to do. You are free to do what God desires. And His Spirit becomes your spirit. And whenever that happens, somebody gets loved and God gets glorified. It's called being fruitful. They will know who you are by your fruits. It's just who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.